1: The industry is now splintering into specialties, and the internet has transformed the way we communicate with our customers and the way we go to market. Where is your business headed? Where are the opportunities? What are the challenges, the threats? My name is Bobby lee I'm the Chief Content Officer at CommonsQ, and together with Mark Graham, we tackle these questions and more as we discuss the promotional products landscape over the next five years. Mark begins today's discussion by describing how we arrived at this topic.
0: All right. Well, you know, it's interesting. A lot of, um, I find, and I think you're a lot like this, Bobby, that a lot of um, really interesting and quite epic conversations about the industry usually take place inside my inbox. Right. And it may start off with a, uh, a an interesting article that someone sends you and says, how do you think this is going to impact our industry? Or what do you right. think of this particular trend? And then you then start on a, a big essay about where this may impact the business and then you know the the friend or the friends that are on this particular email thread then come back with a couple of different things and i've i've always been fascinated by those inbox conversations Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so this is a great example of one of them and i always thought like wouldn't it be cool if we could take a look at our inboxes and um unearth some of the stories and talk about them whether they're in a blog post or in this particular case of podcast so just before i start that that's just a quick heads up as to where this came from and i think literally came from an email i don't even know who had emailed me at the time this was maybe about three months ago just someone who had said where do you see the future of the industry in the next three to five years, as it relates to the players and the and the the distributor types that exist in our business today? Like, where are they going to be in three to five years? Right. And so, these opinions are my own. They're based on just my being an industry practitioner for for several years. And and I'll say that I'll preface my comments in that. Um, I have a very optimistic outlook as to where this industry will will go and grow in the next three to five years. Mm -hmm. But I do feel that if left unchecked, some of these distributor segments that I'm about to talk about, I think will be in real trouble if left unchecked.
1: Right. So that's a clarifier. So let's talk about what the four are, and then we'll get into the uh, threats that face each of them, the opportunities and their options as we see it right now. And we're both going to have uh, somewhat different perspectives on some of these models just because of our own experience, our respective experiences um, in the business. So the the four, who are the who did you define as the four?
0: All right. Well, you had asked me the four and I and I started off with that huge introduction. So people are probably thinking, like, get to it, Mark. All right. Um, and. <laughs> all right here they are so um the four segments as a general rule are small distributors so these are uh, broadly defined as one or two person outfits that sell less than $500,000. It could be as low as selling $25,000 a year, but I would say generally up to about four to $500,000. So right. first- A lot segment, of
1: part-timers in that too, group too,
0: right? Absolutely. I mean, if you're selling 25 to $50,000 in promotional products a year, you're either right. brand new or you're doing it part-time right. um, with all due respect. Right. So the second segment, as I see it, are the pure e-commerce players. So these are defined as the, as the people who came into this business with e-commerce in their DNA. So this would not be like Robin, for instance, uh the when Robin Bobby, in your in your uh, previous capacity, when you created um your swag expert site, that wouldn't make you a pure e-commerce player. That would right. make you a a successful distributor that, Added e-commerce well into your time as a distributor. Right. Examples that I would use here would be companies like Four Imprint, uh, Inkhead, uh, Branders, Discount Mugs—the uh, the, the ones that we hear about. Uh, in some cases, a lot of people will complain about. If you go to the Facebook Promotional Products group, you'll see a lot of people that are concerned about them losing orders to these pure e-commerce players. Right. Okay. So that's uh, and we'll get into each of these models in more detail in a second. So the third. Uh, are the agency or niche or niche uh, players depends on how it is that you like to pronounce that Um, so these are broadly defined as distributors who have taken a more creative consultative design oriented approach to their business um Where And and they may be large. They could be a 50-person company or they could be as small as a one-person company. Um, I don't define them as small, medium, or large because the size of them is not what's unique about them. What is unique and defining about them is how it is that they go to market and the product that they offer. I've always felt that with this particular segment, they don't sell product as much as they sell ideas and solutions. Mm as opposed to um, the group of, of folks that are really in the business of selling product first and foremost, where price is often the thing that differentiates. And you see that a lot, actually, with the first two segments that I mentioned, the small players as right. well as the pure e-commerce players that focus a little bit more on the product side. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not making judgments as to which segment is better or, or worse at this particular point. Yeah. Um, we'll let you do that, Bobby, because you're full of judgment. Um, <laughs> it's true for anyone who's listening to this maybe thinking Bobby is such a nice swell guy there is there is a real there's a lot of attitude below the surface I can tell you Um, all right the fourth segment Uh, am I doing okay so far Bobby I'm a little nervous around you
1: yeah, you're doing great. Keep going, man.
0: Okay, good, good, good. Okay. I'm having fun with this. Thank you for having me on the SKUcast here, by the
1: way. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Glad you could be here. Um,
0: so the fourth and final of these very general segments that I'm throwing out here are the company store players. So these are the companies that, whose uh, point of differentiation in the market is... Is their company store offering? So I gave the example of Robin, your former employer, Bobby, right. um, would be a perfect example of a company store player. Someone that does extremely well in the space. Um, they derive the majority of their revenue from company store relationships. They're excellent at filling out RFPs. They're great at warehousing, whether that's on site or off site. And um, these these particular companies are the ones that are selling to the uh, the largest of Uh, corporate America or corporate North America or or corporate global, I should say, um, all the way down to, um, I would say, the mid-sized companies that just need to have a program that is executed online where there's some sort of fulfillment program uh, uh, involved. So those are my four segments.
1: Got it. All right. So now with those four segments, Let's talk about threats, opportunities and options, because even though we've just defined those four, um, there are there are opportunities actually in each segment that we're yes. discussing today. So uh, threats for the small for that first segment, the small distributors, one person outfits selling less than five hundred thousand total. What do you think the threats are?
0: Well, I'll throw what I think. And I'm obviously very interested in what you have to think as well. Um, I, I think in, in in from my perspective, if these distributors are defined by small operators that are primarily relationship-based uh, relationship sellers then uh sorry relationship-based and transaction-based i should say Right. Um, and you there's no question you can build a successful small distributorship based on that but the concern is that you've got the e-commerce guys that are circling And it's those end clients, particularly if you've got an end client that's in transition. So let's say you're dealing with maybe a more tenured buyer and they're moving to a younger buyer and that younger buyer doesn't identify or value the relationship that you bring to the table. And then if all you have to go off of is the transaction and the product, well, then they can find that very easily on a site like 4imprint, which does a pretty good job of presenting products at a good price for people. Um, so I think that represents the biggest threat is for a, a small transaction relationship-based distributor that does not up their game and add more value because the e-commerce people are optimized for taking that business away very, very easily.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. hundred percent. The online players will continue to nip away at their market share. You and I did this uh, um this sort of similar conversation when we uh, were at one of the regional shows and we were talking about how to protect yourself. And we came up with that idea of the moat theory, yeah. where you have to basically surround your castle, if you will, with uh, things that your customers are easily finding at their fingertips. For example, technology didn't, didn't mean you have to go into business and compete with or imprint. What mm-hmm. it meant was you had to make technology um, an easier solution for selling for your customer. But uh, back to the threat. Online players agree will continue to nip away at market share. Margins will erode because of online price shopping. We've seen that over and over and over again. Everyone's exhausted from getting those links from the online players. Um, Personal bandwidth has always been an issue with that particular model. Um, All eggs in one basket is not just an issue for uh, a lot of the big companies, but also obviously the small ones as well. Uh, And, you know, from PPAI, they had, a, uh, I'm reading directly from their um, industry review, they said the industry increased a modest 1%. This was the last summer um, in 2016, and distributors in the 2.5 million plus bracket were the only ones recording a sales increase. So everyone underneath that 2.5 million, uh, you know, was basically uh, declined or, or stagnant in sales. And of course, one of the biggest threats with that model, as, as with a lot of models, but particularly that one, lose a buyer, lose the account. That's typically right. the way that goes. So, what are the opportunities, as you see? I mean, that's all, that's bad news, but there is good news.
0: I think that uh, one of the one of the biggest opportunities that someone who's small has is the fact that they're small. Um, they've yeah. got a leanness and a nimbleness to their model that puts them at a great advantage over some of these larger companies. And a lot of the pure e-commerce players that I just mentioned, the ink heads, the four imprints, the discount mugs are very large companies. Um, and, and, and uh, well, there's lots to uh, there's lots to fear from them. There's no way they're going to be as quick and as nimble as you are. And I always find that you want to take, you want to take your advantage and you want to double down and knowing that you can be that much quicker and, and, and more nimble. Um, I also think that it gives you a great place in which to focus. Um, if you're large, then chances are the way that you grow is by moving into multiple different categories and multiple different types of products and you become a generalist. Um, so you think about Walmart, Walmart is a, really difficult competitor in the world of retail um but they're a generalist provider Um, they can't compete with that smaller organization that has decided to focus on a particular product line or a particular theme or a particular category and it's no different in the promotional product space and i think that the, the, the 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 small distributors that are the most successful the most profitable and the fastest growing are the ones that have really focused in on that unique um, unique, uh, particular product, um, and, and particular story that they can tell their customers, because that's what the customer is buying. And that's the reason that a customer is going to say, well, I don't really want to deal with that generic website because I can deal with such and such a person who's got this extreme focus in this particular area that I need a solution to.
1: Yeah. It's interesting that you're focusing on a particular part of the story and not service and speed, because, uh, you know, I was just talking to a distributor yesterday, and this is a distributor that, I, that I'm guessing at this point is a twenty-plus million-dollar distributor, and what they said was something probably anyone under the sub five hundred thousand in sales would say. Well, I'm fast, responsive, and I take care of my customers. But here right. was a multimillion-dollar distributor who told me, uh, uh, Bobby, I asked him what the secret to his success was, and he said, Bobby, this morning I got a call from a customer, and I drove half an hour to go talk with him about a $6,000 order. He said, I was out there, was in front of them. I probably increased my chances of landing that order you know, tenfold by just doing that. So it's, it's not as if they have, that's not a strategic advantage is one of my concerns. It is from a, from a strategy standpoint in terms of who they want to be and where they want to grow to. They're in a very unique, uh, wonderful opportunity because there are distributors in that five, probably 10 million plus for sure that are stuck in a UVP, even if they don't like it, or even if they yeah. decide, like if they want to shift and say, we want to now go to online, that's such a bigger struggle for them. So the lean and nimble is a, definitely a big plus. Um, I think that the biggest, most exciting part about this area, if you're in the sub 500,000 is that you have so many options yeah. um, uh, of where you can go and where you can pivot.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that point about the geography is a really important point. I mean, j- j- I, mean I, I, I don't think that I'm suggesting that relationship selling is dead. I think that there's huge value to getting in front of your customer. And if you're like, I think about someone like Kirby Hassman, OK, he just came to mind. So Kirby is from a small town in Ohio called Koshockton. OK, for folks that don't know Kirby, he's got a great web show and is a real, right. uh, you know, unique industry personality that has just built a thriving business in what to, to me, someone who's from a large market in Toronto I can't even wrap my head around how you would do any business in a small town like that because I just haven't grown up that way and just been used to selling into much larger geographic markets. Mm -hmm. Um, So to get back to Kirby, here's someone who has created this incredible reputation locally. He's in front of his customers on a daily basis locally. And he's been able to establish himself as the go-to guy in Coshocton that is providing these great promotional solutions. He's not just the guy who's throwing the catalog in front of, you know, a church group and says, flip to page seven and tell me what you want. I might give you an end column price. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I think that, you know, he's an interesting example of someone who's been able to really lead the charge. And, you know, he's not the biggest distributor in the industry, but he's certainly a distributor that has grown nicely since he started and and at a profitable rate.
1: Yeah, and if you ask him, this is the question for anyone in the sub five hundred thousand or seven hundred fifty thousand category, if you ask herbie, what is your what is the unique part of your story? He would be able to answer that because he spent a lot of time and energy working on their unique value proposition. Yeah. Um, and that's what those folks in that category really, really have to do. This is also that, you know, that Forrester Research report. Some people hate this when we start quoting that report, by the way. I was talking with the CEO of a very large supplier, and, <laughs> and he was uh, really sort of down on this report. But it's a, fa- it's a famous report, Re- Forrester Research reported that by 2020, 1 million B2B salespeople will be out of work. This is now an old report. It's been around for about, a, what, a year or so. Um, here's, the, here's the key paragraph. Firms must adapt by building digitally-enabled selling models that put self-serve e-commerce on equal footing, emphasis mine, with with commissioned salespeople. The effects will be felt most significantly by sales reps who are considered order takers, those serving customers who purchase self-explanatory products in a simple environment. Now, the the important part of that statement was not the e-commerce. I'm not saying you should get any e-commerce. What I do think the important part of the statement is those serving customers who purchase self-explanatory products in a simple selling environment. Now, we've been saved as an industry because we are not a simple selling environment. You can't go to Amazon and just easily, with one click, get what you want because of the complexity around the custom order factor but it is getting easier for customers and we're seeing a little bit of disintermediation happen with outside industry players that are nipping away at categories t-shirts or yep. things like that but yep. those those serving customers who purchase self-explanatory products that's probably the key right where the, where the creative agency does not have a unique value proposition problem because they can they they have this tremendous value in what they're doing with that product
0: right right absolutely all right next one so
1: number 2 pure e-commerce players What's 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 the threat? I mean, these are these are the folks who are really growing. So is there really a threat to these folks?
0: Um, I mean, I think they're in an enviable position, but I, I, I do think there are some threats. So I think that um, why don't I why don't I list them off in no particular order. So one thing that I would be worried about if I was a pure e-commerce player is a Amazon Uh, I'll say that again, Amazon, uh, if Amazon decides to really get into the promotional products business and they're, they're kind of kicking the tires right now, there's, um, you know, the Amazon custom site. And uh, I I know that you do see some of this around uh, right now. It's hard to tell whether they're really serious about the B2B space or whether they want it to be a little bit more B2C. Um, But the bottom line is, is that they've got seemingly infinite resources and the ability to throw money at, at this particular problem. And they are the best. At e-commerce like for imprint they're pretty amazing amazon 10 times better <laughs> 100 times better and and i say that with all due respect to our friends at Four imprint um and and i think so you're competing with a formidable terrifying competitor so i'd much rather be competing with robin who's a great distributor but could probably be outwitted you know where particularly when you were there um not now not now but when you were there definitely um but but in all seriousness i don't want to be competing with amazon i think the next point that i would say is lack of differentiation so um you think that customers are not loyal right now to distributors well Mm -hmm. i can i would be interesting to get the opinion of someone in the e-commerce space if you were to have you know someone for for imprint or you know inkhead to weigh in on this but I imagine that customers are googling and price comparing those sites all day long because they make it so easy to price compare and they don't really take a lot of effort to differentiate themselves beyond price and product yeah so that that right there is a concern and I think the lack of ability to differentiate is a real issue yeah um, and I th- I think the other piece of it is um I'm going to let you say a third piece. What do you think third piece is?
1: Uh, margin erosion. I'm just sort of clarifying what you said, but margin erosion, I think, is one of the biggest challenges because of the, the competitiveness. Um, and, you know, we, I, we have to keep in mind, too, though, that uh, um, the e-commerce players, the, the gate, the front door is their website. So they also have this infrastructure like the traditional distributor where they're trying to build out a consultative sales force. I know Jim Franklin's been really big on talking about this hybrid model because he's seen it work at Inkhead where you're gain the customer through the transactional front door of the digital website, but then you keep them through actually more traditional methods. But you still have all of this tremendous amount of operating costs in terms of the technology, plus all traditional challenges of a, a normal distributorship with margin erosion, plus probably commissions and stress. So you're going to have profits going to continue to be, I think, a, a challenge in the long run. Uh,
0: yeah, folks. yeah, no, for sure. So, I mean, those are the threats, but obviously moving over to the opportunities, um, it's nice to be in a segment of the industry that is that is growing yeah. Um at a faster rate than really any other segment in the business certainly. and in a 20 20 ish billion dollar business that's not a bad space to be in and i also think you're seeing a lot of investment up uh, some vcs that are certainly coming in and putting some big money into it and uh and i think everyone's also looking at amazon as to whether they're going to take a real run at it right. um, and i think they do if amazon takes a legitimate run which at the time of this podcast, and I hope Jeff Bezos isn't listening to this because I'm not trying to encourage him to get into the business, but when they take a I run at it, a re-
1: I don't think he probably is going to, I don't think I don't have to worry about that. Go ahead. Well, I, I, I
0: th- actually think that he may, he may be a subscriber. Um, <laughs> I heard that. I, I did hear that. Um, <laughs> not yet, at least not yet. Right, um, right. But the thing is, is that if he takes a real legitimate run at it, then I think it's going to signal. That there is a huge opportunity in our industry um, because Amazon only goes after the big opportunities.
1: Yeah, very true. By the way, an interesting article to read in context of all of this, or at least a resources, is Mary Meeker's Internet Trends. If you don't, if you're interested in this model, maybe you're in that sub five hundred thousand dollar category. We know some distributors who are taking a run at this. We know distributors who are trying this model. Um, definitely keep stay in tune with Mary Meeker's internet trends. Okay, number three, agency or niche verticals. I'm getting my uh, pronunciations correct here today. Agency or niche vertical. So, Mark, you're this model. So, right sleeve is this model, I should say. You can better describe this than me. Um.
0: Okay. So the the at least at least the the right sleeve model. You're defining it um, from an agency perspective is uh, any distributor that goes to market where uh, product, well important, is, is often surrounded by other things. So either by ideas or design or branding or concepts um where the the agency oriented distributor is able to go into a client and have a a higher level discussion about that particular client's uh challenges and marketing objectives yeah and it's the agency's job to go in and suggest some creative solutions that uh, are made up of design and product so uh, from from a right sleep perspective, I think what what we learned in the evolution of the company is that we looked out into the market space and said, well, do do we want to be competing on product and price? And at the beginning, when I first started in the late uh, 1990s, that was all I knew. So sure, right. but. Right. It was interesting because you would have defined me as a very small distributor at the time it was one person i i think i sold like two hundred thousand dollars in my first year Mm -hmm. um so certainly not big numbers and i i found that that um playing that product and price game was not necessarily a road to continued growth um from a sales and profitability perspective so it was it was at that time uh you know 15 16 years ago that allowed me to look at the model and say what does the what does the market really want from us and where can we make a difference where can we differentiate ourselves from all these other people that are competing on the same things and uh, growing up in the Toronto market you've got a lot of competitors that are right in your backyard so right. that that was just basic business 101 right and i think as i realized that I'd always been interested in the art of marketing and the art of branding. And then that became um, a really interesting uh, way to evolve that model and then go to market where design and branding was really what we were selling with a product backend. Mm -hmm.
1: Is so the threat the threat then is, is, am I wrong in the threat by, I think the threat is the fact that they have customers pulling them in multiple directions and it's not necessarily their unique value prop. So stores are a good example, right? Yeah. Would that be a, a threat to them in terms of watering down their mission and their objective?
0: I mean, it'd be interesting. We could t- certainly talk about the threats as well as the opportunities, but I think yeah. that
1: and, I, and by the way, I'm not clarify, I, I need to clarify something. When I say it's a threat, I don't think a company store is that old traditional dis- description we have. So you can be an agency model and build a really cool solution for a customer and not be pulled into the direction of uh, serious overhead with fulfillment and all those things. So we kind of got to be fair with, our, be fair with our, our descriptions a little bit. But I, I've always wondered about that agency model. I mean, obviously, it seems like a rich model to be in. Um, the threat might be to be all things to all people, which is what you're seeing larger distributors struggle with as well. Yeah, I,
0: I don't know so much about that. I think that, you know, the threats are around um, pricing, like there may be a perception that as an agency that you're way more expensive than a traditional promotional products mm-hmm. distributor. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, that certainly comes up from time to time. And you know what? At times you are more expensive because you... You likely have more overhead because you've got design personnel. You may have an account layer within your company. May not just be working all by yourself. You've got additional resources, so you need to cover your costs. So as a result, your your prices may be more expensive. Although it's funny, I think there's certainly sometimes where your prices aren't as expensive. So I don't know that that's necessarily a general rule. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think the other threat to it is that. You you may be so niche or niche that you become irrelevant in the marketplace, or that you're or that you're just mm. the, the what you focus yeah. on is just way too small that right. your ability to grow is not there. Yeah. Now I could flip that around and also say that with focus comes great potential to grow as well. Yeah. But if let's say you're selling into a very limited market like scuba diving shops in Oklahoma City, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a huge dynamic market for scuba diving shops in Oklahoma City, right? right. And you could be the guy and, you right. you know, you're the person and you may be so focused on that channel that you don't have the ability to focus on any other type of business. Well, you know, you you, you may reach a certain limit, even though you may be the person and you can charge whatever you want because you're so good at it. Yeah. It's a stupid example, but you know what I'm talking about.
1: Well, and what I think, too, of a threat, uh, you know, when Ted Church spoke at Skucon, and here's a, a prime example of the agency model. And Ted talked about actually being in the same room practically with distri- other distributors who are basically the providing the cheapest item possible, and that wasn't their focus. And right. I thought it was interesting that they would uh, live almost simultaneously under the roof of the same customer and yet be so focused on their their niche that they could say with confidence, yeah, that guy's welcome at the table uh, because we're so focused on creative merchandising that that's what we do extremely well. I was, I was really encouraged by that. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity, obviously, in this model. Do you see other opportunities that maybe folks in that model aren't chasing? I
0: I, I I, mean, just f- from a lot of my own experience in this industry, I, I see that there's way more opportunities and threats in this particular space. Right. Um, I think that the, um, I mean, you look at, let, let, let's look outside the promotional products industry here for a second. If you look at any of the great iconic companies of our day, whether they're in B2B or B2C, mm-hmm. almost all of them, have started or got their start with a strong focus in a particular channel and are specific in a specific in a particular niche or niche mm-hmm. um, and usually brands that have got a strong creative uh, brand core uh, as well so I'm thinking about companies like Nike and Starbucks and I mean Google's another good example of them And and, and I'm not trying to necessarily relate agency distributors to Starbucks but there are some commonalities in terms of companies that put branding and uh, the customer and community and uh, like a bigger picture uh, in front of the product. I think that you see some very interesting things happen there. So that yeah. that has definitely been a model that I have seen, and I've seen lots of other. If you use TED Church as an example with Anthem branding,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean you can go to TED and get a hundred and fifty pens from whatever pen supplier you want. And I'm sure he'd be happy to do the business, but that's not really the magic of his company. The magic yeah. of his company is going to a brand and helping them tell their story through beautifully designed merchandise. Yeah. And, and he can do that at a level for a certain kind of client that most other people in this industry cannot do. Um, they, they wouldn't even be welcome at the table because right. they don't even, they don't have the chops. Right. And I think that's fascinating that he's then able to go him and, and companies like his are able to come to the table with these, uh, very discriminating clients. Very, uh, uh, maybe picky clients is the better word that I would rather use. Um, and, and he's able to have a, a conversation with them that's rooted in loyalty as opposed to a conversation that's rooted in what's your best price.
1: Right, and they're building many experiences on behalf of their customers. And the experiences, when you were talking earlier about the branding and and uh, how, how critical that is at the forefront, I immediately thought of the coffee industry in terms of, of unique branding when you look at maybe it's somebody like Blue Bottle in San Francisco who who is no yeah. longer just the tiny little coffee shop around the corner yet they built that they were built that way their DNA is that service and there's this whole experience around just the commodity because coffee is still a commodity yeah. of coffee yeah you can still obviously go down to the grocery store and get coffee at yeah. very cheap but it's more about well, the experience
0: for sure and I think you you and I spoke about that on a SKU cast uh, almost, uh, almost a year ago when you were speaking at Skewcon Chicago and we talked about you know these. Um, you know the difference between experiences and products. So I, I think that as we close this one off, I think that the agency or niche uh, type distributors have got a tremendous opportunity to continue growing through focus, and it's it's it, their opportunity is not only in sales growth. But in margin growth and also like a strong, strong loyalty from a very large segment of the market that is looking for those kinds of services that is actively not looking to buy something off a website because yeah. buying something off a website is great and to be clear is a huge market as well. But agency companies and and e-commerce companies are, are not – it's almost like they're not in the same industry. They, they really are very, very different in terms of who they appeal to.
1: Yeah, right. Okay, last segment, company stores. What are yeah. the threats? You don't need to hear
0: from <laughs> me on this.
1: Why don't you start? <laughs> All right, I'll start this one. All right, I, I kind of – I think we're going to differ a little bit. Um, and just because – just because the um, perspective, right yeah, it won't be. So I, I, I kind of see this model as a little bit insular from the threat of competition that they won't and they won't be disrupted, but rather their threat is from within. And I actually think the threat is real, but it's not from without the, the threat right. is from within It's chasing low margin business. it's agreeing to low margin RFPs. it's it's uh, if you con- if you contrast that like a, a low margin RFP with high commission structures, Yet the need for continual investment, in service, and technology—that's what's never going to end with that model, because it, you know when Amazon has already disrupted our business from the standpoint of their driving customer expectations for this model. I know when I was with Robin, we would have a little inside joke. The inside joke was we waited for how to see how long it would take for a customer or a prospect to drop the A word, and the A yeah. word was Amazon. And right. it was, and with prospects, it was really fast. They would say, you know, like Amazon and so they there's this continual investment in technology um and so there the threats are really more so from within not organizing and structuring the business properly and then losing yep. it because uh they're tr- providing this tremendous value for customers tremendous value yep. um in in terms of uh, solving business solutions and answers but really i think the threats from within within
0: i i i agree with you and you you have sp- spoken about this a number of times and, you know, I've known you for what, too long, too, too long. long for you. Too um, long. <laughs> but we've, we've definitely talked a lot about this and, you know, you you explaining as to where the business is to be had and where the profitability is. Um, I think from my perspective, where I see the threats, I I, I see a few. Um, a, it, it feels to me like it is a mature space, uh, it's a mature product that um, that you're selling. And what I mean by that is, uh, you've got large companies. Well, these are companies that are usually RFPing for million dollar plus programs. Right. Um, they've been around the block many, many times run by the purchasing department who are very, very sophisticated when it comes to putting together these negotiations and yeah. price price is tops. Um, yeah. it's not tops. It. It's it is a mature it, model. I do agree with it, that. It, Totally mature, right? And yeah, so right. that's kind of threat number one is like you being able to make margin where you can go and win a program by being substantially more expensive than the next guy. I think those days are over. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're chasing business that is low margin. And if you don't have your internal act together, you're dead. Yeah. Um, as, as you say, I think the other thing that worries me about this space is that you um, While you may not have a lot of competition for this, like if you go back to the first segment where we talked about the small distributor, like though that segment has got a ton of competition because very low barriers to entry, it's very easy to get into the space. By contrast, the company store space does not have nearly as many competitors, but there still are a number of competitors in the space. And it means that if, you know, let's say... uh, IBM, just to use it as an example, is going out to tender and they've gone to tender to 10 very good company store providers. Well, that's 10 people you've got to go to bat with on a cost plus program. Um, Sure, there's more to it, but that would worry me going against 10 other people who are going to sharpen yeah. their pencils that yeah. that worries me right. <laughs> and there's way right. more than 10 really good company store providers out there so right. Right. you know who are those so that, that that's that's a worry of mine I think the third worry that I have Bobby not to get everyone all depressed here but um because we're going to get into the opportunities in a second with company sure. stores of which I think they're vast um is that you generally tend to be a larger distributor as a company store provider okay so um, let's say you're a. Uh, I'm going to pull this uh, out of the out of my hat here. 15 million dollar uh, distributor that does company store business, um, and let's say a good chunk of your business, let's say 30 or 40 percent of your business is derived from company store business. So that could be an RFP that you've won where you've got a portion of that that is um, uh, fulfillment based, and then a portion of that is dropship. But the 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 point is is that a large part of your business can be traced back to that contract that you've signed. So let's say you're a $15 million company and let's say for the sake of our math, $5 million of that is spread between three or four programs. So let's say you lose a program and that program is $2 million, for sure. Well, now you have built up a warehouse, let's say, or let's say it's contracted out. You've still built up a head office you've built up overhead, you've built up staff, you've built up technology, you've built up infrastructure to service that business. And so at the first sign of you potentially losing that business, you'd be much rather to cut your price in order to retain the business than to lose it because then you don't want to have to fire these people. Yep. And I mean, you, sure, it's easy to fire people, but you certainly can't downsize your office and the technology spend that you just spent on because that's a fixed cost. Right. So to me, It feels like the threat for a business that's got large on company store business is that they could lose 25% of their business fairly easily if they don't play ball on the pricing side and then they're stuck with this huge overhead and what the heck do they do? Mm -hmm. So with that, let's get to opportunities. But those are three serious worries that I have about this space. Um, And and I look forward to the hate mail um, from this podcast.
1: (laughs) Well, opportunity. So uh, that model, exactly right on your threats. I think you're exactly right. I think that that faces every one of these customers, um, that are providing the stores that did for us for sure. So Danny Rosen once told me that good salespeople love complexity. And this is the most complex model in the industry due to all of these different challenges. They have an opportunity to grow widely so they can actually explore new segments. So they can create safety awards programs, they can create employee programs, they can do all kinds of things to grow with an existing customer because they usually have deep roots or deep anchors with the customer. So their opportunities are typically to grow wide with existing clientele, and I think their opportunities are to chase—excuse um, me—to sort of chase new ideas, even with an existing customer, because a, you gotta have a—you have a built-in R and D opportunity if you've got good contracts and good relationships with your existing customer. So they've got a lot of opportunities in terms of wide growth. Um, and they, you know, print, I think is a good example. You see a lot of promotional folks trying to do print, a lot of print folks trying to do promo and a lot of that is anchored and the research and development is provided by those customers that they have contractual arrangements with. So I think there's a lot of opportunity with the model. Certainly your threats are valid, but I, I still see tons of opportunity with folks in that model.
0: Well, and I think that at the end of the day, where this is a very exciting space to be in specifically the company store space, uh, to your original point is. The the companies that you're seeing winning in this space, um, and and I'd, I I think that uh, you know he'd be fine with me referencing his name. I was um, speaking with Larry Cohen the other day from Axis Promotions, and Larry was telling me, and and Larry for folks that don't that don't know much about Axis is one of the the absolute leaders in the company store space in this in this uh, industry, with handling a number of very large company programs and he was telling me in the last seven or eight years that his company has grown faster than it's ever grown. And and this is a classic company store provider um, uh, distributor. Right. and. I think the reason for it, if you were to talk with Larry about how it is that he's been uh, been successful, it's been that internal side, um, making yeah. sure that he's got great leadership, he's got great systems, he's got great warehouse relationships, whatever the case may be, so he can um, fulfill those programs in a profitable
1: manner. Right. You know, I will say this um, in closing. I do think it's very important for us to keep having these dialogues for, for one simple reason. I like the fact that we might be encouraging one person somebody in that sub $500,000 category that said, you know what? I hadn't even considered all the options and I think I'm going to grow in this way. And that's, what's fun about doing something like this. I hope we encouraged you today. I hope it's been a good episode for you. And we will see you next time. Mark, any final words?
0: I have no final words other than I agree that it's important to have these discussions. I think it um, actually, I will say a final word. I think it, I think what I've learned from this discussion is that, uh, with these four models, what we have addressed is that there are problems with each of these models, but there are also phenomenal opportunities. And I, I'm i default to being an optimist um, in life as well as in this industry. And I'm a firm believer that this industry will continue to grow at a very healthy clip over the next three to five years. There's no question about that. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see where the different... Uh, how the different players evolve of of these four. And and I I don't know that necessarily any of these particular categories will be dead, but I certainly believe if left unchecked, I think there's some bad habits that will get some of these players into hot water. But I think it's really exciting. I think it makes the industry a better place to have these different uh, players and different models. And I think you have to pick the one that's right for you.
1: And it's a great segue. The next episode, we're going to talk about the rise of the folks that do not fit necessarily necessarily into these four models, and there are some surprises in there as well. So stay tuned to us for next time, and I'm glad you tuned in today, folks. Mark, take care. You bet. Take care, Bobby. Thanks so much for tuning in
0: to this episode of Skewcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to Skewcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.com commonskew.com. Until next time, friends, thanks so much for listening.